One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Friday morning, the 9th of February. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. Last April, the Chief Executive of Louth County Council withdrew a motion that had been put on the council agenda on behalf of victims of clerical child sexual abuse. She did this unilaterally off her own bat. Not only did Joan Martin make this decision without consulting with any of the elected councillors, she decided to withdraw the motion despite the protestations of the Cahirlock. Conor Keelan's unhappiness over Joan Martin's decision is recorded in the minutes of Louth County Council. Keelan says he wanted the motion to be tabled for the child abuse victims. He says it should have been debated and voted on. Uh, government doesn't intervene in local authorities all of the time because if we did, the very first people would be yourselves and others to say we're interfering in the work of local authorities. But I'm not clear in the original, I'm not clear how a CEO can disallow um, uh, a councillor's motion now. A motion. Uh, that seems, you, that's how you have presented it. I don't know is that the full story. Uh, but I would find it difficult to comprehend how if the democratically elected representatives propose a motion, unless it's ultra-virus or contravenes the law or whatever, I don't know. On what basis or on what grounds? Some very interesting things happen in local government. All right, and you've been listening to the Thornister, Micheál Martin, speaking in the Dáil last month about how Joan Martin somehow managed to pull a motion from the council agenda. If the Thornister sounded confused, it's of little wonder because the chief executive doesn't have the authority to do such a thing legally. Allowing or disallowing a motion is a reserve function of the elected members of the council, your county councillors. This is one of a number of issues that has been highlighted on this programme for close to a year at this stage and despite our repeated requests to Louth County Council to comment on this by agreeing to an interview or issuing a written statement, we have never been given any logical explanation as to why Joan Martin, the Chief Executive of Louth County Council, acted outside of the law and took it upon herself to remove a motion that victims of clerical child sexual abuse had asked for. We asked the Minister for Local Government to comment on this apparent breach of legislation as well as a second breach of legislation by Louth County Council when it failed to discover 892 documents under the Freedom of Information Act. A spokesperson for the Minister has told LMFM it would be inappropriate 
for Kieran O'Donnell to comment on the matter. They say the role of the Minister is primarily to ensure a framework of policy and legislation in relation to the local government system. The Minister, they say, does not have a role in relation to individual decisions made by local authorities except in a limited number of circumstances where there may be specific statutory provision for ministerial approval within the Department's own particular areas of responsibility like housing or planning and territory. The statement issued to this programme says that the elected council serves as the primary oversight body for the local authority. In other words, it's the councillors who have oversight of what the council does. The council has extensive powers to request information. Again, this is the county councillors. They have extensive powers to request information, issue directives and oversee the work of the chief executive. The minister says the chief executive is accountable to the elected council, the county councillors, for the execution of their executive functions. The council retains the authority to appoint, suspend or remove the chief executive from their position by resolution. In other words, uh, the county councillors could decide to do any of those things. Council meetings, including the establishment of standing orders, are reserved decisions for the elected council, the county councillors. Allegations, the minister says, of breaches of ethic rules or relevant codes of conduct by council members or employees are addressed through the ethics framework for local government outlined in the Local Government Act. Oversights of breach, breaches of both the Local Government Act and Ethics Acts at local authority level is carried out by SIPO, the Standards and Public Office Commission. And the Minister says the Council can also be held accountable through legal recourse, including bringing allegations of criminal breaches to the attention of Angarda Sheet Connor for investigation. As I say, that's uh, what the Minister has said to this programme. Figures O'Dowd is a Fine Gael TD for Louth and East Meath. Imelda Munster is a Sinn Féin TD for Louth and East Meath and they both join us now. And a very good morning to both of you and thank you indeed for joining us. Good morning, Michael. Uh, Imelda Munster, perhaps I could start with yourself uh, because we heard the Thonish speaking there a moment ago and Micheál Martin was responding to you directly in that clip uh, and he was just terribly confused as to how this could have happened. Uh, following on from that, you said you wanted the Minister for Local Government to intervene, Kieran O'Donnell, the Minister uh, in question. Uh, and this morning we have the Minister's statement. What do you make of it? It's it's hard to credit, actually, because, um, as you said, when I raised the issue with the Tarnished last week or the week before, he actually appeared mesmerised, you know, as to how that could happen, how the, a, a CEO could disallow an elected representative's motion. I could tell by his demeanour that he, he actually was mesmerising and just couldn't comprehend under what circumstances that could happen. So that was the first thing. But the minister, okay, the minister is, is, is responsible for policy and legislation in relation to local government. Um, and, he, he, well, he might say he doesn't have a role in relation to individual decisions made by local authorities, and that's that's fair enough, but in this instance, in this instance, it's you know there's an apparent breach of the local government act, which is totally different, and you know th- that's when the minister needs to step in um, to investigate it first and foremost. Um, and the fact that he's, he hasn't commented on it even is actually more concerning. In fact, I would say it's, it's insane. It's it's not acceptable under any circumstances whatsoever. Um, 
And we have to remember too that this this is a very important issue. Victims and survivors of child sexual abuse have been let down badly here. The entire situation stems from the decision that was taken to deliberately frustrate their attempts to achieve justice. Okay, but are you saying that you don't accept the minister's statement? You believe that he has a role in this? Oh, I, I wouldn't accept it at all. He can't be, he can't, he can't be, um, have a role in ensuring there's a framework of policy and legislation for local government. And then when a parent breaches of that local government act, you know, are reported to him, that he can, he can actually say, oh, it's not, that's nothing to do with me. That's, that's not how it works. You know, he can't, when issues of such importance are brought to his desk, he can't actually say, oh, I'm not going to comment. It, that's not acceptable under any circumstances. In fact, you'd imagine that he would be greatly concerned about it, and particularly the, the issue that surrounded this, given, and on top of that, given the fact that the Thornish was totally mesmerised as to how it could happen. So you'd imagine the minister, at the very least, would want to investigate it if he was doing his job. Fergus O'Dowd, uh, what do you make of this? <clears throat> well, obviously, it's not an answer that satisfies anybody. That's the first thing. Excuse me. <clears throat> I think the key thing in, in the response to the minister is that it is decision of the elected members whom the chief executive serves in any council and the elected, uh, the elected council must be followed in their directions. And I think, um, I think that that is where the problem in, arose initially, uh, that the chairman uh, made his point, uh, yet but the, he's in charge, the chairman's in chairperson is in charge of the meeting. They set the agenda, they put things on or they take things off the agenda. That's their power. And that didn't happen in this case. Um, and clearly, obviously, the chairman at that time objected to it being removed. Now, I'm not on the council, so mm. I, I, I don't have a voice on that legally. But what I would say is that the council has to stand up for its rights. Uh, they are entitled to do two things. One, to have any motion debated, provided it's not against the law. And secondly, they're entitled to have sight of legal advice. And neither of those things have happened. Now, so that is the conundrum, that is the issue. The minister is saying that he doesn't have the legal authority to intervene. Now, I, I have sent some questions to the minister, and I'm quite sure Melda has as well, and I'll be happy to continue to push this issue with the minister because we have to find a way of resolving this because, as Melda says, at the heart of this okay. are people who have been appallingly abused in the past. Okay. And, and uh, we cannot allow this to continue. Okay, uh, have you spoken to your colleagues uh, on the council, the chair of uh, the council, the Cahirlach, uh is now Fine Gael councillor, Paula Butterley, uh, who uh, is backing uh, the chief executive 100% last we heard, uh, but hasn't asked uh, about the Local Government Act uh, and why the motion was pulled. Didn't ask about that at all, uh, didn't seem to have any interest in it, and believed uh, that uh, the CEO, uh, Joan Martin, Chief Executive of Louth County Council, uh, explained herself uh, in terms of the Freedom of Information Act. Uh, it, it was I have, a, sorry. I'm sorry, go ahead. It, was, it seemed yeah, to Michael, be, no, I, I have spoken to Paula, and I've expressed the views that I've expressed here to you, to her. Now, she's an independent person. She's entitled to form her own view. But I've made it clear, I've made it clear to everybody 
that the council should be in charge here and it is the duty you know of the chief executive to respond to the wishes of the council and if somebody puts a motion in it must go before the meeting and it's as simple and black and white as that um, but clearly the council are not prepared to do that and that is the problem Michael um, so I think the two things that are happening one is that we put pressure on the minister to find a way of an intervention that he can do legally mm. and secondly uh, as the minister himself points out the standards and public office commission I understand okay. there has been a complaint made and that they have the power mm. to independently investigate that along I think other okay. Michael and I just last point is the information commissioner they produce an annual report They've already made a significant finding in relation to the freedom of information request, and I would I will write I will write to the information commissioner and ask him to to put it in the annual report and to make a recommendation as to how uh, you know these must be handled in the future. Okay, I think that's that's another way. We're to we're, we're, we're in an election year. Are you concerned uh, about how this reflects? on Fine Gael, as I say, in an election year because the motion was originally tabled by an independent councillor, Maeve Yor. And Maeve Yor has been speaking about a pact on the council between the councillors and the executive. And sure. the implication is that councillors don't want to upset the executive because the executive works hand in glove with them and if you're in, your issues are prioritised. If you're out, you're ignored. And that's the way business is done on the council. That's the allegation that maybe your has laid bare. Uh, Is that the situation with Fine Gael representatives on Louth County Council that they're siding with the executive so that they can get work done in order to get re-elected for votes, in other words, to the detriment, to the detriment of victims of child sexual abuse? Well, Michael, if that were the case, that would be entirely wrong. And I absolutely would not agree with that. Uh, the first point is that is that if anybody would, would be saying to be on the outside of a local government, it's been me all my life. I've always been, uh, I've always been clear in my views. I've always had a creative and sometimes very difficult relationship uh, with officials, with officials, and if that continues. So as far as I'm concerned... You know, you get your work done because it needs to be done, not because you don't the manager or you know the engineer or whoever it is. And each each councillor, whether they're a party or not, yeah. are entitled to their own independent views, and that is the way it should be uh, to make their own views. But uh, I am making it exceptionally clear that I believe all members of the council, including members of Fine mm. uh, should sh- should actually ensure you know, that this issue is resolved, mm. that that motion uh, should not uh, uh, have been removed. But the thing is, I don't know if that hypothesis is true or not. I just know that that is a yeah, hypothesis no, no, that, 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 yeah. that, that has yeah. been made public. Uh, and yeah. uh, and then we have a situation where the Cahirlock of the Council isn't interested, it seems, to the point of getting answers about what seem to be very serious matters that the executive has breached two separate pieces of legislation. But, but the, the, the power and the authority in this issue rests with the elected council, each and every one of mm. them. My view is exceptionally clear, Michael. Oh, I know that. I know that. I know today. that. I know that. And, 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 mm, the, mm, and everybody is aware yeah, of it. But mm, the mm. point is, if the council decide to do something they have the power to do that. 
if they, for instance, were to say, let's get our own, we've been refused legal advice, the site of it, we are the people who are in charge here, we insist on getting uh, our own independent legal advice and instruct the council to get independent legal advice on what the manager has done. That's one thing they can do, in my view, and should do. Yes. And secondly, as I said, the issue... Uh, the issue in relation to the freedom of information request uh, should be dealt with, and I've no doubt will be a matter of concern, is a matter of concern for the information commissioner and their issues there. As regards the minister, I will continue to ask the direct questions, and if there's any way in which we can get an intervention from the minister, I will do my very best to, to achieve that, Michael, absolutely. Mm-hmm. OK. Uh, Imelda Munster, can I ask you about the Sinn Féin councillors uh, and uh, the extensive powers that they have, unquote. Uh, that's what the minister says, the, uh, as we've been hearing there from Fergus O'Dowd. It is in the gift of the elected members, the county councillors, to hold the executive to account, to get answers to the questions that not only LMFM has been asking, but that you have been asking uh, on the floor of Dáil Éireann. Just in response to yourself, the Minister had said that um, the elected council is the primary oversight body of the local authority and it's served by a chief executive who's required to support the elected council in the performance of its functions. Now, that statement in itself makes a mockery of what happened or what was allowed to happen. And in this can- case, the councillors took no action. So does that mean that there's, in cases such as this, there's no accountability for CEOs? If you go back to what the minister um, also said in outlining the, his role, you know, to ensure policy and legislation, but he also had said he doesn't have a role in relation to individual decisions. But we're not asking him. We're not asking him to meddle in individual decisions. We're raising the fact that there was apparent breaches of local government act and that in itself is serious and the minister also needs to link the two and councillors need to link the two and say if the minister has to examine that link and councillors have to put two and two together first you had the breach of the FOI act now that was either total disregard for the act when they furnished you with Five, I think it was five. Um, two, two, five, and three, three more, five a total on appeal, uh, uh, and then 892 yeah. uh, particular documents. Uh, and the official who responded to the appeal, the same person, in other words, uh, is party to dozens of those emails. Uh, so uh, wrote dozen, wrote numerous emails, received numerous emails, uh, but uh, when was statutorily obliged to respond to a freedom of information request, forgot all about the emails, or, or, or I don't know what the explanation is, uh, but came up with five. Yeah, so you have, you have the, that total disregard for complying with the Freedom of Information Act. And this is something that the Minister and councillors need to take on board, that that was either a deliberate breach, totally flippant attitude, that's all we're sending out, he's not getting the rest. We're not, so total disregard for the Freedom of Information Act by those within loud local authorities, or utter incompetence. And then on top of that, you have the situation where even the Thornishta of the state couldn't comprehend under what circumstances a chief executive could disallow a motion. So not only did she override the councillors, if you look at what the minister said, that the, the 
the local authorities are the ones that have, you know, the primary oversight of a local authority, or the local reps, should I say. So there's two issues there now that the councillors need to actually say, well, hold on, if the blatant breach of the, or utter incompetence in relation to the, the Freedom of Information Act, and the also the fact where somebody elected by the people in this constituency brought forward a motion to help others and the chief executive decided that she wasn't going to allow that in the absence of legal advice that she says she received. Why did she act that way? Was it a religious thing? But to my to my mind, the entire situation around the Christian Brothers legal strategy wasn't very Christian in the first place. You have to question if it was religious, what sort of religion was that when these people are just looking for, for justice? But there are two issues, very, very serious issues that both the minister and the councillors need to look at and need to re-examine and need to investigate and to decide whether or not if anybody in this county applies for an FOI, for example, are they going to be treated with the what appears to be the contempt that um, you had received in relation to the, the volume when the information um Commissioner had to get involved and instruct them to carry out a proper search. So are they going to sit by and allow that happen to the next individual in this county? But also are they going to, when the next motion comes along, as the chief executive Hmm. Decide that that's no, that's well, not going ahead. Well, I mean, the minister's statement could be interpreted to mean that Loud County Council works <laughs> in a bubble and cannot be held accountable unless uh, the councillors uh, decide to ask for answers. Uh, and uh, there's another issue which is SIPO, the Standards in Public Office, and yeah. uh, the upcoming commission meeting of SIPO is going to consider these complaints, uh, I'm told. Uh, but do you believe that the Sinn Féin councillors uh, specifically um, should be acting in relation to this, given what the Minister has said about their extensive powers? Well, I'd like to think now that the Minister has clarified that all councillors will act on that, you know, that he's actually said that, I mean, we knew that, but he's reinforced it for councillors who may have been not sure of whether or not the, the, the chief executive had that right to withdraw a motion. It's, it's there in black and white, you know, the, that it's the, the elected councillors, the primary oversight body of a local authority. So they are the, the headbook cats, if you like, and they're supposed to be served by a chief executive, mm. not ordered about by okay. a chief executive. Chief Executive, okay, I, and if they put a motion in, there's no reason whatsoever. Even the Thornister couldn't comprehend okay. under what you know reason. Okay, if the CEO could could deny a motion, I, I, I don't mean to cut you short, but we've run way over time. Just to conclude, if I could ask both of you, because I, I believe both of you intend to bring this uh, to Leinster House. Uh, what questions will you be asking in the Dáil and Eldon? Well, yeah, looking to ask the Minister just in relation to you know, I keep saying. He said he doesn't have a role in relation to individual decisions made by local authorities. This is not about individual decisions made by local authorities. This is about apparent breach of uh, Local Government Act and Freedom of Information Act. And if he looks at the two together in the whole, um, that, he, you know, it's his job to actually investigate it. And if if it's not taken to task and if the minister doesn't look into it, then 
you know, it affects local democracy going forward. Apart from the, the, the issue, which is serious enough in, its, in, in itself, it's a very, very important issue. And, you know, there was, there was legal advice bandied about that nobody ever saw uh, as the reason for this, mm. I mean, he has to. He has to investigate. And we have si- we we have we have sight of a, an email from a solicitor, legal advisors to Louth County Council, which clearly states that at a minimum she should consult with uh, the Gaherlock. Uh, Fergus O'Dowd, can I conclude by asking you the same question? Though, what questions yeah, will you, what questions well, that, will you be asking? Is, well, I'll ask the minister if he will appoint an independent party uh, uh, to, to examine all of these issues and to report back to him on it because they're very serious. Uh, now, I know the Minister, uh, in some instances, can appoint a person to examine issues like this. I think it's serious enough uh, for that because it applies not just to Loud County Council but to every public body in the country. And I think he should also consider a circular letter to all local authorities in relation to the operation of procedures in relation to meetings and the powers of councils and chief executives, and secondly, in relation to the operation of the FOI Act. And I think that would you know, that, that would be important that he would do those. And they're the questions okay. I intend to ask them. Michael. OK, we'll leave it there. Thank you both very much indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. Fergus O'Dowd is a Fine Gael TD for Louth and East Mead. We were also speaking with Sinn Féin TD for Louth and East Mead, Melda Munster. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now let's uh, bring you some uh, comments before we go to the American president and talk about his memory. Tom has been in touch with us and he says, let's be honest here, Michael, like everything else in Ireland, this will be kicked down the road until the problem goes away and that problem will be gone in May. They will just drag it out until Joan Martin, chief executive of Loud County Council, is gone. Only three more monthly meetings and she's gone along with the problem. Thanks, uh, Tom, for your message to the programme. Uh, another text uh, from somebody who says, Micah, I now hear politicians asking why the Gardaí have made zero arrests in relation to arson attacks on accommodation centres over the last while. Similarly, they should question as to why no arrests have been made in relation to numerous arson attacks on houses in uh, North Drogheda Estate over the last year. The latest was this week with occupants inside. The question needs to be asked is Andrew, uh, I beg your pardon, the question needs to be asked uh, if uh, the Gardaí are investigating these, I, I think is uh, the thrust of uh, the comment. Thank you uh, indeed uh, for that. I'm sure they are. Um, it's uh, certainly uh, very worrying to see arson attacks and uh, that uh, attack last week did go pretty much under the radar it has to be said uh, David in touch with us as well this is David Kearney who sent us a, a, an email and he says Michael on St Bridget's Day I witnessed the most disturbing sight ever when the huge anti-immigrant march paraded down O'Connell Street with extremely frightening and aggressive loud soccer hooligan whistling and chants intimidating all those watching I couldn't believe that there was so much hatred in this country with marchers carrying obnoxious signs many county 
Liberty flags and sickeningly hundreds of our national flag of unity, the tricolour. Despite there being hundreds of Garda on the streets, the most aggressive, intimidating anti-immigrant marchers were allowed to stop at a small anti-racist demonstration at the Sparn to actually completely surround them on all sides in a very worrying and dangerous way. Fortunately, the Gardaí finally got involved before there was any conflict and anti-immigrant marchers were moved on towards Custom House. Apparently, there were numerous arrests or 14 arrests. Uh, the atmosphere in O'Connell Street was menacing while those anti-immigrant marchers were there in full sight of so many tourists and onlookers. It shamed me to be Irish, seeing so much hatred being openly displayed by so many. This government has a major task ahead in getting to grips and to take control of this hatred and I pray that they are up for the task as it looks like they are losing the battle and it does not bode well for our future if they lose, says David. Thank you indeed for your message, David Kearney to Michael at LMFM. Michael Reed on LMFM. A remarkable press conference given by the American President Joe Biden in the White House last night. It follows a report on an investigation into whether President Biden had mishandled classified documents. In the report, Special Counsel Robert Hur describes Joe Biden as a sympathetic, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. I know there's some attention paid to some language in the report about my recollection of events. There's even reference that I don't remember when my son died. How in the hell dare he raise that? Frankly, when I was asked the question, I thought to myself, it wasn't any of their damn business. Let me tell you something. Some of you have commented, I wear since the day he died every single day, the rosary he got from Our Lady of... Every Memorial Day, we hold a service remembering him, attending by friends and family and the people who loved him. I don't need anyone. I don't need anyone to remind me when he passed away or passed away. Simple truth is, I sat for a five-hour interview over two days of events, going back 40 years. At the same time, I was managing an international crisis, Their task was to make a decision about whether to move forward with charges in this case. That's their decision to make. That's the council's decision to make. That's his job. And they decided not to move forward. For any extraneous commentary, they don't know what they're talking about. It has no place in this report. The bottom line is the matter is now closed. I'm going to continue what I've always focused on, my job of being president of the United States of America. Thank you, and I'll take some questions. President Biden, something the special counsel said in his report is that one of the reasons you were not charged is because, in his description, you are a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. I'm well-meaning, and I'm an elderly man, and I know what the hell I'm doing. I've been president. I put this country back on its feet. I don't need his recommendation. It's How totally bad out. is your memory, and can you continue as president? My memory is so bad, I let you speak. That's uh, that's that's my memory has gotten worse. No, look, my memory is not good. My memory is fine. My memory. Take a look at what I've done since I've become president. None of you thought I could pass any of the things I got passed. How'd that happen? 
You know, I guess I just forgot what was going on. Mr. President, President, for months when you were asked about your age, you would respond with the words, watch me. Many American people have been watching, and they have expressed concerns about your age. That is your judgment. That is your judgment. That is not the judgment of the press. They express concerns about your mental acuity. They say that you are too old. Mr. President, in December, you told me that you believe there are many other Democrats who could defeat Donald Trump. So why does it have to be you now? What, what is your answer to that question? Because I'm the most qualified person in this country to be president of the United States and finish the job I started. All right. Uh, Confident-sounding Joe Biden there responding to some very tough questions from the American press. He was also asked about uh, the Israeli offensive in Gaza. I'm of the view, as you know, that... The conduct of the response in Gaza, in the Gaza Strip, has been um, over the top. I think that, uh, as you know, initially, the president of Mexico, Sisi, did not want to open up the gate to allow humanitarian material to get in. I talked to him. I convinced him to open the gate. I talked to Bibi to open the gate on the Israeli side. I've been pushing really hard, really hard, to get humanitarian assistance into Gaza. There are a lot of innocent people who are starving, a lot of innocent people who are in trouble and dying. And it's got to stop, number one. Number two, I was also in the position that I'm the guy that made the case that we have to do much more to increase the amount of material going in, including fuel, including other items. I've been on the phone with the Qataris. I've been on the phone with the Egyptians. I've been on the phone with the Saudis to get as much aid as we possibly can into Gaza. There are innocent people and innocent women and children who are also in bad, badly in need of help. And so that's what we're pushing. And I'm pushing very hard now to deal with this hostage ceasefire. Because, as a, you know, I've been working tirelessly in this deal. How can I say this without revealing it? To lead to a sustained pause in the fighting, in the actions taking place in, in the Gaza Strip. And uh, because I think if we can get the delay for that uh, the initial delay, I think that uh, we would be able to uh, extend that uh, so that we could increase the prospect that this fighting in Gaza changes. There's also negotiations. You may recall, in the very beginning, right after, right before Hamas attacked, I was in contact with the Saudis and others to work out a deal where they would recognize Israel's right to exist, let them make them part of the Middle East, recognize them fully in return for certain things that the United States would commit to do. And the commitment to, that we were proposed to do related to two, two, two items, I'm not going to go in detail, but one of them was to deal with uh, um, the protection against their arch enemy to the northwest, the northeast, I should say. The second one, by providing ammunition and material for them to defend themselves. Coincidentally, that's the time frame when this broke out. I have no proof what I'm about to say. But it's not unreasonable to suspect that the Hamas understood what was about to take place and wanted to break it up before it happened. The American president.
Joe Biden. Michael Reed on LMFM. Water was in front of Meath County Councillors yesterday who wanted to know why it cannot supply an adequate service to people living in Ashburn, Rathoth and in Trim. Let's speak to local independent councillor Nick Killian who's on the line. A very good morning to you Nick and thanks uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. What did Irish Water have to say for themselves? Well, let's put it this way. It was a robust meeting and councillors um, right across the county let Irish Water know in no one's circumstances how we felt about the delivery of water to uh, the parts that you've mentioned there, to Ashburn, to Rathout, to Trim, uh, even other parts, and other parts of the county. Mm. Um, we all know that there's a, a, a body of uh, work going on at the moment, and we also appreciate that they have difficulties. The biggest difficulty we identified in talking to them yesterday was their communications. Their communications were extremely poor. And we were making the point that we are the first point of call from the constituents. The constituents, as far as they're concerned, co- still contact us uh, when water goes out. For example, in my own village of Rathos, in the past week, we've had eight outages. That's very hard to explain away to to businesses, to families, to mm. older people. And they are not getting out their message. Uh, their call centre is it... I'm sorry, I'm sorry. How, how long were those outages for? Um, well, seven of them were from 10 o'clock at night till um, 10 o'clock at night time till about roughly around 8 o'clock the following morning. And nobody was expecting them? Well, no. You're, 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 you're told, you, you get information about this sometime around maybe 4 or 5 o'clock in the evening. All right, so you can't plan so for it. You, don't, you, you, you can't plan for it, you know, and, and families can't plan for it. Businesses can't plan for it. On top of that, we've had major bursts as well, which are still continuing. Like in this, in, in, in this scenario right across the county at the moment, there is a huge cap amount of money being spent on water infrastructure. And as everybody knows, our water in Meath comes from the Boyne, it comes through Stalene, comes to Windmill Hill in uh, Curraha in Rathout, and is diverted then to Ashburn and into Rathout. Mm. The difficulty is they're building a new tower. The tower is not ready yet, which will hold, the new tower will hold 24 hours of water. Our current tower holds eight hours of water. Right. So well, there shouldn't be any shortage of water. Well, I don't no, remember I mean, there I ever. Just, uh, I, I just smiled when you said it's raining today, and it is raining. It was raining <laughs> yesterday when they were there. It was lashing rain when uh, they were there. I don't remember so, there ever being so much rain. Ask a farmer or a gardener or anybody who's looking at the soil. Uh, it's just uh, sodden at this stage because there's sodden, been so yes. much rain. Yeah. It's running. It's running down the roads, the mm, water. Mm. But but from our perspective, we do appreciate that they have um, a job of work to do. But in the meantime, their communications is an absolute disaster. As one of my colleagues from Ashburn um, said yesterday, uh, yes, we're the mudguard for Irish water at this stage with the with the constituents, with our people, our residents living right across the county. Mm. Are you getting I it mean, in the air yourself from people? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I go out my... Uh, as I said, I wake up in the morning and I check that the, you know, have we water? I I go to bed at night worrying about have we water? I mean, it's got to the stage where it's taken over. Seriously, it's taken over all our lives mm. because you're watching every day, and then you're meeting individuals 
who um, themselves who are having their own life difficulties. We've had one particular estate in Rathout Steeplechase where pressure has been an issue, water pressure, when the water comes back. Yeah. Yet when the people ring Irish water, they're told there's no difficulty. Yet those people have no water. Ah, that's ridiculous, so, isn't it? It is, it is ridiculous. Now, the, the situation is there's a, you know, the, the, the Rathout situation is a, tw- uh, the Rathout Kuraha Ashburn situation. They're spending 12 million on it. Mm. But that's not being appreciated by anybody bar ourselves. And thankfully, the work has been done. But our main concern is the work that has to take place between Stellene and Drogheda and Windmill Hill. That pipe has to be replaced mm. because Julique is an area now that has quite an amount of bursts. So from our perspective, that job will not be completed until 2028. 2028? 2028, 2028 right. at the earliest. Right. They're negotiating with farmers to come across land at the moment. So this is not going to be a short-term fix. Yeah. It's going to be, we're going to have problems with water right up uh, until then. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're saying now, should we be given planning permission for any more houses and in the middle of a housing crisis? Ah, that's unbelievable. Because, mm. because we have capacity mm. issues. I don't know if there's and, any and truth in this, Nick, uh, but I'm going to say it because I know somebody is thinking it. Uh, this wouldn't happen in Dublin. No, the people, the people in, in Meath, to be fair, have been very tolerant. They'll give out to us, certainly. Um, and I know, like, some of my colleagues are talking about, you know, protests and everything like that. It wouldn't happen to the same extent in Dublin, no, because the people wouldn't just put up with it as much. But I, I'm disappointed particularly, and I'm sorry to have to say this, I, I believe our TDs could have done a lot more. To be fair, Darren O'Rourke has raised it in the mm-hmm. doll. And I- a lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I think more pressure has to be put on by our TDs right across the county um, on Irish water in, in, in making sure to delivery. Now, we... we we, we laid our, our, you know, every councillor that was there yesterday said what they had to say. Honest, it was from the heart. And we just hope that the communications back to the people will improve. Because mm. if, if, if you're, you know, if you're going to be out tonight, you'd like to know, Michael. And that's the message when people ring 
Irish Water and their call centre, you know, the first question I'm asked when I ring when I get a query in from a person is, can I have a postcode? Yeah. I wouldn't have a postcode or an air code. Mm. You know, and, 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 and they turn around and say, Well I can't take your your complaint and they put the phone off. Right. No, that's how daft it is. Stay with me, if you will, for a minute. Social Democrat Ronan Moore is on the line. Good morning to you, Ronan, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us as well this morning. What did you make uh, of the explanation or the presentation that Irish Water gave yesterday? Well, I, I think probably, if you stepping back from things, I think Irish Water consistently, their their interactions with ourselves as representatives has always been very poor. Um, I think as what Nick has mentioned in terms of how they talk to people, how they expect to get their information out um, is very much based on a, a model that doesn't seem to be working. People are not always on social media. People are not always able to hear the messages. I know in what might be called an older time when they used to go around towns with cars and speakers to let people know it might be a bit of a throwback. But um, also what is a throwback is people not having running water. So I think they need to look at the models of how they actually um, get the information out. But then I think the bigger problem I think is they need to be much more, I guess, much more long-term planning because I know in our area in Trim, the biggest challenge I've found is that um, the the water treatment plant, which is consistently having problems, um, it only had a lifespan of, like, in, if, if you talk to people of this sector, you have probably a lifespan of 25 years of these, these plants, and yet they had not gone through the proper planning and the, before this coming into that. So when issues that have started to emerge, they're only then beginning to start doing these, these, uh, this catch-up. And I think that's something that the Irish Water need to, to really to, to, to do um, mm. in order to resolve this and not to have the issues that we're having. OK. Uh, what kind of time frame are you talking about? Uh, is it 2028 uh, as well for the trim area? Well, this is, this is what we're being told in I terms know. of when, when it'll be done. But when, if you can imagine, if you, like if, I guess your listeners at home, if you have a car that you know is going to give you trouble, like you have, you've put in place the budget, the, the money to be able to get yourself uh, a car to take its place when it does break down. When it comes to a water treatment plant, you obviously have planning design, you have the planning application process, you have all of this consultation that needs to happen. If you know that you have a, a plant that has a 25-year lifespan, that at that time things are going to start breaking down as they do. You want to make sure that you have your, your ducks in, in a row five years in advance of this. Yeah. And that's, not, that's something that they didn't do and they don't do. They yeah. don't do this long-term well, look planning. At the, look, look at the motorways. You never see a pothole on the motorways because they preempt them and they yeah. resurface before they happen. Absolutely. Uh, and that's the point you're making, that you know that whatever is involved in this uh, infrastructure, the pipes or whatever, that it has a, a certain lifespan and before it comes to the end of its lifespan, you replace it rather than waiting for it to crack and burst and leak water out uh, and leave people without the service. This is exactly it. And then they might argue that, look, from a budgeting point of view, they have to prioritise certain areas. But at the same time, this, for the cost that you would have, and, and, like, and we can also expect that sometimes you try to get a few more miles out of that car, but when you get through planning commission, you have a five-year length of time before you need to, 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 to initiate, and then even then you can extend it. So what I would be arguing for is that when you have these plans coming up to their, their time that they're, they're due to be replaced, that you've gone through the process, you have it all planned out, and if it's a case that you can get an extra year or two years and from a budget perspective, that might make sense. But once you realise that there's too many outages that are taking place, which is what's happening in Trim and elsewhere across the county, as Nick has mentioned, mm. then you immediately decide, right, now we go to tender, 
now we go to get it built and you don't have to wait a year, 18 months, two years to go to the planning okay. design consultation. You, you, you weren't happy before the meeting yesterday, I take it, you're no happier today? No, no, okay. no. Nick Killian, I take it you're no happier either? Not really, no, because I go back, I stood in a field with Minister Owen Murphy back, you, you remember Michael when the, we had the large outage in 2018. Of course. And and he said within five years everything would would be resolved. We're now in 2024 and we're still not resolved. And I do have, I, I've really got large concerns in relation to the Staline to Windmill Hill pipeline and the length of time that that's going to take place. Okay. I know they're working on it, yeah. but we, we need faster action. And we need a commitment from government to put the capital funding yep. that's necessary into it. Uh, and, and maybe um, maybe Irish Water would look on it in the same way they would look on a situation like this if the location was Dublin. Absolutely. And we need, they're talking now about bringing water from Dublin to Mead. That's in their long term plans. Uh, and and that won't happen till 2034 <laughs> you know so like you know yeah. uh, look, and there's you know, so much I of it falling around, out I of the sky around in 20, yeah. I just hope I'm around in 2034 <laughs> to see the, the yeah. water coming in from Dublin oh god I, 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 I was driving in yesterday morning feeling terribly sorry for the school children walking into school with the oh, torrents of yesterday. rain it just yeah. falls out of the sky and we can't get it into yeah. our taps yeah. alright no. listen we leave it there for the Anyhow, moment we'll keep at it though thank you okay. indeed thank you to both Thanks, of you for Michael. joining us on the programme this morning independent councillor Nick Killian social democrat Ronan Mullen both members of Mead County Council Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. There's a story on the front page of the Irish Times which is most curious. Curious for a number of reasons. One, uh, the story itself uh, and what it means. Uh, and two, where did this story come from? Uh, Conor Gallagher is uh, the crime and security correspondent with the Irish Times and he's reporting exclusively, it seems, that Ireland has entered a new agreement with NATO aimed at protecting subsea infrastructure and countering threats from aggressive nations such as Russia. The new streamlined agreement replaces a more complex collection of protocols between Ireland and NATO and it's going to last until 2028. It'll give Ireland greater access to NATO resources including sensitive intelligence. But he reports that the government is insisting that this is not a step towards full membership of NATO. Roger Cole is chairperson of uh, the Peace and Neutrality Alliance. And a very good morning to you, Roger, and thanks for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. What do you make of this? Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> I suppose if I was in a reasonable mood, I'd just laugh. I mean, of course, it's a growing link with NATO and nuclear arm military alliance. Uh, committed to using nuclear weapons and that's what this is mm. about it's about building deeper and deeper links with NATO and uh, and this is just another step in that direction okay. it's Did... absolutely obvious that is the intention mm. it's, uh, the, the Irish Times is reporting it, on it this yeah. morning uh, exclusively it seems uh, where did this story come from I, I mean uh, I, I didn't hear any announcement <laughs> I didn't read it anywhere else I had a quick look on the government website this morning I don't see anything there in relation to it surely this is a, a significant uh, development that would normally uh, see a, a government minister, the Minister for Defence, Michael Martin, who is overseas, but that he, he, he would have made this announcement and it would be covered by all media. 
Well, as it happens, uh, I know Conor Gallagher. He's the uh, he's the security mm. correspondent for the Irish Times. Yeah. And by opinion of uh, Mr. Gallagher, is a very good journalist. Oh, right? absolutely, yes. Uh, so I think he just got the story before any other journalist did, right? Mm. Uh, I, I don't think that's a particular issue per se. I mean, you know, breaking a story maybe before... Uh, no, I don't mean it that way. Go, but why has the government you know, not announced it, <laughs> if you understand? Well, I mean, it's, yeah. it's important It's important that the, the, the government uh, could possibly simultaneously jump up and down and make all sorts of noises about how it's not affecting our neutrality, uh, simply because, as they know, public opinion polls mm. show the vast majority of Irish people support Irish neutrality. Yeah. So every time they, they slash away at Irish neutrality, they have to keep on saying, oh, we support Irish neutrality. Mm. And in a couple of years' time, they'll be saying, neutrality, what was that? Mm. It was some kind of policy that the Irish state used to have, but of course it's... it's I understand. I couldn't agree with you more. Conor Gallagher, one of uh, the best uh, investigative yeah. journalists in, in the country, and there's no doubt about that, and uh, he should be applauded for breaking this story and putting it on the front page of the Irish Times. But ordinarily, if Ireland enters into a partnership with another country, let alone NATO, uh, there would be a government press release at a, a minimum, would there not? Well, you would think so. Uh, therefore, the implication is he, he got the story before the government had got around to issuing a press statement, right? But, I mean, the, the yeah. point is that yeah. this is happening, yeah. right? Yeah. Nobody's yeah. denying true. it because it has actually happened. Mm. And, uh, you know, if a good journalist manages to break this, to leak the story, mm. right? Well, mm. that's what okay. their job I'm, is. I'm sure, I'm sure next so week when we have questions in the doll. Uh, for Hall Martin uh, about this but uh, apparently it's uh, an agreement that has been rumbling on for the last couple of years back to 2022 at a Madrid NATO summit. Yes, that's right. There's been steady links building up between uh, NATO and the and, and Ireland over the years. It's not some you know, I'm not dying of shock when I heard the story. You know what I mean? Mm. It's quite clear that uh, this particular government uh, and Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael in particular, not too certain about the Greens, but they seem to go along with it more or less anything, that uh, that um, they want to join NATO, but they know they can't do it. So they're doing it, uh, you know, bit by bit so that nobody will kind of notice. You know, mm. oh, we're so far in now, we might as well join NATO. You yeah. know what I mean? Uh, Why don't we take policy. the final step, like? Exactly, exactly. Mm. It's, 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 it's the quicksand strategy. You know what I mean? You're sucked in, but only slowly. You know what I mean? Mm. And then you're so far in that you can't get out, and you just join NATO, and and and, and possibly have uh, you could even have no. And of course, in order to prove their commitment mm. uh, to to the NATO when they do join, uh, and they'd probably be looking to have uh, some sort of military base here. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe you know there's uh, several uh, bases in Scotland mm. that uh, have nuclear weapons in them. Right. Do, you, do you think that we've been pressurised into this? Conor Gallagher in his article refers to that think tank in the UK last week uh, saying that Ireland is freeloading off NATO and posing as a backdoor threat to UK security from Russian, Chinese and Iranian actors. Well, I have to admit, that's one section of the article I was extremely surprised about. I had this idea in my head that I'm Irish. I don't know where it came from, but you know, the idea that we should be taking some sort of instructions from a crowd of uh, 
British uh, army, ex-army guys, it's a bit much. You know what I mean? Mm. I mean, who cares what those people say? I mean, they're not Irish. They're not. They're nothing to do with us, right? Mm. So why they're on the front page of what is called the Irish National Newspaper as some sort of you know reason why we should join because a, yeah. a group of people like that say is bizarre. You know what I mean? Mm. What's that going to do? What's that going to do with the rest of the story? You know what I mean? Yeah. Other than oh, we should, other other than oh, we must we. Yeah, other than we must yeah. do it. Yeah. <laughs> we must do it because they must have, they said so. Yeah, <laughs> it's absolutely bizarre. It's bizarre. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, well, don't forget that it's the Irish Times. Okay. Yeah. yeah um, it is the paper of record. Uh, what, what's, <laughs> what, what, struck, what, what struck me most, Roger, uh, was uh, given how we most of us believe that this is a, a neutral state, uh, that this line appeared in the paper of records uh, in the Irish Times. It says, as part of the programme, Irish and NATO officials have agreed several areas of cooperation aimed at improving Irish military preparedness. Are we going to go to war yeah. or what does that mean? Well, I, I think uh, if you if you read what these other people said, these English uh, people, right, English military officer types, uh, that there could be a big war coming with Russia, right? Now, if there was a big war coming with Russia, nobody should bother too much about having armies because it'll be a nuclear war and we'll all be dead. You know what I mean? It's 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 a thought process which is really scary that this is published in the Irish Times as if there's some validity to it, except in the minds of these. Uh, you know, but I think mm. that there might be some recognition that Britain has an imperial culture, you know, something to do with conquering Ireland, or maybe they've completely forgotten that. Uh, and it's part, it's part of their DNA to have wars. You know, they, they've been doing it for so long, they hardly know what else to do. And the problem is that this time around, we are places like Britain and Russia and uh, United States of America, all are armed with nuclear weapons. So if there is going to be a war, it's not going to be, you know, send over a couple of battalions over a, a trench. It'll be a nuclear war and we'll all die. So, I mean... What the role Ireland should be mm. and did under Frank Aiken, one of our, our greatest minister for foreign affairs we ever had, mm. uh, was actually to advocate the exact opposite, to say we are a small neutral country, we haven't the slightest capacity or intention of invading England, which is our nearest and dearest, mm. uh, or indeed any other country. And there isn't a shred of evidence that we want to do that again, we, that we do have changed our mind and do want to do that, or that anybody has shown any interest in invading mm. Ireland. Can I ask you an impossible question? Sorry, can I ask you an impossible question? Probably a long-winded question at that, but an impossible question to answer, uh, I think, uh, because uh, the opinion polls show that the vast majority of people, 67, 68% of people in this country, want Ireland to be a, a neutral country. I think the vast majority of people in this country want the Irish government uh specifically Leo Bradker as the Taoiseach, to go to the White House uh, and uh, speak to Joe Biden about his support for Israel in the war against Gaza uh, and to bring about an end to that somehow. Uh, But what appears to be happening is that the Irish government is getting into bed with America and NATO for whatever reason is not known to us. Uh, Can you explain any of that or is there any truth in it, do you think? Well, I think that people who get elected again and again and again, right? And they have, and that, that's, a, that's the right position. You know, I mean, people 
elect them and they are become the leaders and that's that's just the way it goes and it's the way it should go. They stop having any major links except with people who are members of NATO. Don't forget the vast majority of countries in the European Union are also NATO members. Uh, and there's strong links between the European Union and NATO as, as it is. Um, when we joined the European Union, or the European Economic Community, as it was then called, it was understood as a kind of a trading relationship between sovereign states. And the customs union has been extremely beneficial for the people, all the, all the people of all the individual states of the European Union. And that doesn't mean, therefore, go ahead and create a European army or a European joint military force or a joint EU-NATO military force. And that is, unfortunately, the direction in which is going uh, among the kind of... Now, I don't know if it's reflected by the people in any other country in Europe, let alone Ireland. I mean, Irish people are, want neutrality. Everything, as you just said earlier on, every public opinion polls shows that um, the, the, the uh, country, vast, vast majority of ordinary people in this country want Ireland to be neutral. And it was part of the uh, every single person in the 1916 rising were members of the Irish Neutrality League, and it was a core part of when we were when De Valera and others were negotiating with the British. They said we want to be neutral. So in this, and of course, as you just said, the vast majority of people want to be neutral. So what the policy of this government and successive governments is to say, oh no, we are neutral. We're just doing this little thing. We're neutral, but we're doing this little thing. So it's a quicksand strategy. So at some stage or other, uh, that we are going to be, we're going to be in um, in in NATO, uh, or uh, as makes no difference. And I, unfortunately, I think that's what's happening. Roger, thank you indeed for joining us this morning. Always good to talk to you. Roger Cole is the chairperson of the Peace and Neutrality Alliance. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now to uh, ruling from Australia's High Court, which was uh, delivered yesterday in relation to the notorious paedophile Cardinal George Pell, a Catholic cardinal who uh, destroyed many lives. Uh, One boy uh, who he sexually abused and was convicted on five counts for Uh, has since deceased, but his father wanted to sue the Catholic Church because of the psychological distress at learning about how his child had been abused caused him. Uh, He's been successful. Let's speak now, uh, if we can, to Tony Gribben, uh, who is the founder of the Dramore Group. Good morning to you, Tony. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. It's uh, our first chance to speak to you. We've had many texts from you over recent months, uh, but uh, you've taken a particular interest in this case in Australia and indeed the potential ramifications that it may have elsewhere. Yes, thank you, Michael, for having me on your show uh, this morning. This is a particularly important uh, topic, uh, as you as you well know, uh, by covering the the, uh, the Christian Brothers issues in and around uh, in and around Drogheda. But uh, why does this uh, why is this case uh, so important? The first case is first uh, a point to make is for the first time a court in Australia, the highest court in Australia decided that a secondary victim, now this would be a 
father or another family member related to the primary victim who would be uh, the, the person who was abused is liable to claim damages against the Catholic Church. Not only the individual who may have abused, uh, who have abused, but also the church as an institution. So that's uh, a, a critical, uh, a critical point um, from this case. The second point is, yeah. of course, is that uh, this case has has implications uh, for for other jurisdictions, particularly in the Commonwealth. And in this instance, you know, particularly you might pick up from my accent, I'm from Northern Ireland, but. You know, the Commonwealth countries tend to watch what's going on across other jurisdictions, and they borrow on case law. So this has, uh, this, as you said, has, has ramifications. Would the Irish uh, jurisprudence scholars be inter- interested in this case? Certainly, I mm. certainly think so. But more critically, I think that the Catholic Church in Ireland will be, uh, will be watching in trepidation as to what the, the the ramifications will be of this case. I imagine the Catholic Ooh. Church will be watching it very closely for that matter because it could prove very costly if people impacted by the abuse of cler- that, that clerics meted out on others uh, is something that can be compensated. That could be very costly for for the church. The church has fought this long and hard, haven't they? And they tried to use a legal loophole I read in the Guardian uh, to defend itself. Yes, I, I think the, the argument the argument is that they had this. It's called, I think, it's the Ellis uh, the Ellis um, decision, essentially looking at ways in which to avoid. To avoid uh, engaging and 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 making a compensation to uh, to second to secondary victims, uh, the, of course the point now is what what happens moving moving forward. Um, will the fathers will the fathers case be finally be, be finally taken on board? The 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 only problem here, uh, Michael, is that this is not against Pell. Pell is now deceased. Uh, this is against uh, this is against the church. I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know whether they have the opportunity. They, if the church uh, have an opportunity to uh, to appeal the, appeal this decision, mm, mm. but I think it, it certainly puts a shockwave right through the uh, Catholic Church across across the world. In fact, mm. yeah, Pal, Pal died last year, so uh, it, it's now the church itself that falls liable according to this ruling in Australia and the question as you say is if that ruling would be followed in other jurisdictions. It comes at a time where we've seen dreadful revelations in this country uh, against the Jesuits. A, a report published yesterday by the Society of Jesus has found that uh, there has been a, a total of 117 claims of child sexual abuse being made against 44 Jesuit priests or former priests as the case may be now. One of them, Joseph Marmion, uh, and in his case, 93 complaints of physical, emotional and sexual abuse have been made against him. It's an incredible and awful story in itself, isn't it? Yes, I, I was reading about the, uh, this case. I haven't read the, the, the report itself, but I was reading uh, the case um, 
covered by um, Malloy uh, in the Irish in, in, Independent. I think the data were staggering that uh, that is that was shared uh, that you've just you've just talked about and 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 of the scale of abuse. And from what I understand, also the the level of depravity was particularly particularly sharp, shocking. I, I I think one point that stood out for me was the uh, the uh, during during so many years the uh, the Jesuit order essentially their primary objective was it was reputation management they really wanted to avoid scandal so that was that was the priority and also the the level of the the cover up particularly of this this other priest this Father Andrews who was the the rector of the Belvedere College, where Marmion um, mm. exercised his, his sexual interests on, on children. And one question I thought that, that, that I came out that despite, that despite Andrews being reported to the uh, director of public prosecutions, there was no follow-up on that. Now, I wonder why that happened, or why it didn't happen. The second question I have really around this this report by the Jesuits is, given the scale, given the scale of abuse, and the level of, as I said, the depravity, the seriousness of the nature of the offending, was it appropriate for the Jesuits to do their own self-assessment to undertake their own report? Frankly, I feel as a as a survivor of clerical sexual, sexual abuse, I have difficulty reading this report and taking it seriously and. Particularly, really, would I be uh, convinced of its independence? I thought this mm. particular case of the Jesuits really was deserving of an independent uh, report or an independent inquiry. And uh, perhaps that will happen. Uh, Marmion uh, abused boys, uh, particularly uh, 70% of the complaints are related to Belvedere College, as you say, but also Crescent College in Limerick and Clongoes Wood College in Kildare. This report finds that decisions made de- through the decades put the protection of the reputation of the society, its schools and Father Marmion ahead of the welfare of boys and ahead of the law. And reading in the Irish Independent, it says, young boys experienced pain, fear and intimidation and many carried the pain and suffering silently and alone with deplorable consequences. Many have permanent scars. Some have carried them to the grave. Um, well, there's there's a pa- there, there's a pattern of behaviour, Tony, isn't there? Uh, not just in the evilness of the perpetrators who found themselves or made their way into uh, these religious orders and then carried out these dreadful, deplorable, heinous acts against young children, but the way the church uh, has covered up and disregarded the victims. All survivors of sexual abuse have terrible stories to tell. The church considers through its pastoral services, and in this case it was a restorative justice program, that somehow they will be redeemed from that uh, from that abuse, from that uh, responsibility for the responsibility for that abuse. People who survive, who go through uh, sexual abuse as youngsters, 
never yield. They carry it through their graves. Some people manage it better than, better than others. But one of the most critical things, and I think this is coming back to the, the case of the, uh, uh, the Australian uh, court decision yesterday, is that while sexual abuse destroys um, youngsters and follows them right through their life, right through their, their life in terms of career and relationships uh, and health, sexual abuse also destroys families. And I think this is a critical issue that the Jesuit report failed to address. Tony, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed for joining us on the programme. Tony Gribben is uh, the founder of the Dramore Group. Michael Reed on LMFM. Let me bring you some of uh, the comments coming to us uh, this morning. Uh, a text from Breda Murphy, who's uh, the PRO of uh, the Tume Mother and Baby Home Alliance. And she says, brilliant to hear Tony provide an update. It certainly influences practices, policies and procedures throughout the world where clerical abuse occurred. And let's face it, it's only becoming known in some jurisdictions. Ireland to date has not yet secured one cent towards redress scheme for survivors of mother and baby homes. We know about the abuses. We have first-hand accounts and yet religious will not admit their failings. Words and actions matter. Breda says, thanks Michael for airing this important development with Tony. Thank you indeed. Breda Murphy, PRO, Tume, Mother and Baby Homes Alliance. Uh, Peter says uh, the Pope is a, a Jesuit and he should be asked questions uh, about that abuse. Uh, thanks for that, Peter. Somebody else in touch saying, while what happened at some Catholic institution was deplorable, the Church has been a hugely beneficial organisation to society. Uh, there was nobody else who offered to help poor people in the past. Uh, and uh, it says that uh, I'm pushing an anti-Christian agenda uh, and the organisation that I work for is pushing an anti-Christian agenda. Thank you indeed. Um, we've uh, text here then uh, from somebody who says, uh, this is Dara, I think, listening to deputies Munster and O'Dowd this morning, there seems to be no separation of powers on Loud County Council. And then we have the Minister for Local Government saying it's nothing to do with him. The more I listen to this story, the more I realise how nationally important it is there needs to be oversight, otherwise chaos will ensue and uh, God knows what. What is wrong with our elected councillors in Louth that they cannot see this? I despair, says Tara. Thank you indeed uh, for that. Uh, another text uh, from Margaret who says, Yes, Michael, how right Tony is. Sexual abuse robs you of what you should have been, a uh, normal childhood. And of what should have been a normal childhood and, and, and you can carry it like a ball and chain for the rest of your life having to work every day to leave it behind you. Thank you indeed uh, for sharing that with us as well. Uh, this morning, Margaret. We should call what we are seeing what it is. We are witnessing a campaign of far-right terrorism in this state. And what has been the response? Almost nothing. Nobody charged fiddling while the country burns. We finally have three arrests this morning for the arson in Ring's End. But contrast that with the state's approach to Debenhams workers, anti-water charges protesters, pro-Palestine protesters. 
Just a couple of weeks ago, seven special branch officers turned up at the home of a young Palestinian solidarity activist at 7.30 in the morning and arrested her. She was held for 10 hours and charged with criminal damage. Not for burning down a building, but for allegedly putting some washable red paint on the Department of Foreign Affairs. But look at how the political establishment is dancing to the tune of the arsonists, cutting financial support and accommodation for Ukrainians, chartering flights for more deportations, forcing vulnerable asylum seekers to sleep on the streets, 750 of them now living in fear of violent racist attacks. The BBC reports that this now includes women and children. Evelyn said she was threatened with a knife and given five minutes to leave before they come back and stab us. Your local Fianna Fáil councillors shamefully making excuses for the arsonists, refusing to cooperate with the Gardaí. You going along with the lie that immigration is the cause of many problems facing our society. It cedes more and more ground to the far right and it legitimizes their arguments. Of course, it would be politically uncomfortable for you to tell the truth, that the reason we have a housing crisis is not because of immigration, but it's because you put the profits of big developers and landlords ahead of people's need for a home. We have a health crisis because you put the private hospitals and the insurance companies first. We have deep Thank inequality, you, we have neglected communities because of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, which have run the Thank state you, since its foundation. That is why ordinary people need to take a stand against the terrorism of the far right, against the racism, homophobia, sexism and hate that they try to spread, you, and against the housing crises and inequality that you have created. It is why they will stand together on Saturday the 2nd of March, 1.30pm at Parnell Square. Now, All right, there you go. That's a strong speech, I think you'll agree, from People Before Profit TD, Paul Murphy, in the Dáil yesterday. Indeed, strong criticism of the government. Thank you very much, Clown Corla uh, and Deputy. I think it's only you could come into the House and seek to blame the government for people burning down buildings. You know, that was an outrageous contribution and you've actually made the work of the Gardaí more difficult and the work of our criminal justice system to secure successful prosecutions for people who are conducting criminal acts. And I don't think you've done anyone any service uh, with the contribution uh, that you've just made uh, in that regard. We utterly condemn uh, any criminal act uh, where properties are being deliberately set on fire. It is arson, it is a criminal act, and the Gardaí are investigating. That's the Minister for Public Expenditure, Minister for Finance, I beg your pardon, Michael McGrath, uh, responding to Paul Murphy, uh, taking exception at the idea that the government is somehow responsible for people burning down buildings. Minister, I'm not blaming the government for the burning down of these buildings. I'm not sure where you got that impression. Those who are responsible for burning down the buildings are those who burnt down the buildings. And the far right who are whipping up false fears, spreading hatred, spreading division and creating an environment where this can happen. But what I am asking you is why after five years of a terrorist campaign by the far right in this country, there has not been a single charge of arson. I am asking you. You are saying very, very difficult crimes to solve and so on. Well, let me tell you now, any potential building to be used for asylum seekers is in threat of being burned down. The state needs to be present. You have to protect the buildings. Whatever about solving the crimes that have taken place, can you please give a commitment that the Guardian will be present to stop these buildings being burned down? 
Will you take people off the streets? They are in danger. Both Irish rough sleepers who are faced with inappropriate emergency accommodation forced onto the streets, they should not be on the streets. And asylum seekers, Thank do not allow people to be in danger in the streets. And I'm blaming you Time is up. for the inequality in our society, for the housing crisis in our society, for the health crisis in our society, which are exploited by Thank the far right, Deputy which falsely Jeans. take anger and don't point it upwards at the people you represent, but blame the vulnerable Time in our up, society. Deputy. That's what I'm blaming you, you for. Resume your seat. Uh, Deputy, I believe you did uh, essentially blame the government. You accused us of dancing to the tune, I think was the phrase you used, of the far right, and you blamed them for burning the buildings. So, you know, you are drawing a correlation which I think is completely unjustified and is, is not defensible. But look, if that's the way you want to represent yourself and your views in the House, uh, then so be it. I'm not sure if you're suggesting that the state would provide security at every, every vacant building in the country. Because bear in mind, some of the buildings that have been burned down have not been earmarked for international protection and have not been earmarked for Ukrainians. It is because of the spread of misinformation, disinformation, a small number of people who are seizing on this issue uh, to spread hate and to spread fear and ultimately it results in criminal acts being done. So the answer is not just the security response. Uh, that does play a part for sure, uh, and we will do all that we can uh, to support communities who are pushing back against this negativity uh, and this fear uh, which is being spread. You, but I think the most important thing that we can do is to reaffirm and underline our fulsome support for the work of the Gardaí and our criminal justice system, uh, and they're doing everything they can uh, to bring those responsible for these crimes uh, to justice. Never faced that Minister Michael McGrath. Now, uh, thanks uh, to Jackie Taff texting us uh, this morning. Long text from Jackie Taff about a, a number of issues. Uh, one of them uh, to do with Louth County Council and Louth County Councillors. She says this whole thing is a disgraceful debacle and its ongoing treatment of victims and survivors of child sexual abuse like myself. She says, I'm exasperated. What can we do now to hold these elected representatives to account? Can the people of Louth write to each of the county councillors and ask them to clarify clearly, clearly their views and their position on child sexual abuse? Uh, and uh, she also says, uh, when it comes to NATO, no, 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 I do not want this inhuman organisation next or near me. And I don't think the majority of Irish people want it either. She also says, in relation to Joe Biden, it's shocking that this truth about Biden is only becoming highlighted now because this is old news, what's going on in the USA right now and how the Democrats have been running the country uh, over the past two years, she says, is frightening. And she says that she's overwhelmed by the amount of issues that uh, we've uh, been covering on just this morning's programme, how shocking and abhorrent they all are. Well, thanks for sharing uh, your thoughts and taking the time to write to us uh, and uh, put it all down on paper or in cyber paper or whatever, Jackie, for that matter. Uh, Jackie Taft, thank you indeed. Now, that's where we run out of time. Maggie McGuire researched today. Paul McKenna was in the control tower. I'm Michael and God willing, we'll see you for our next programme on Monday morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.